Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour with Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head on your home of the Gamecocks in Columbia. 107.5 The Game on 100.3 The Game in Myrtle Beach and 100.5 The Game in Florence. Welcome into the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on the game. Tyler West and Chris along with you on your Tuesday morning here in the Herndon Chevrolet Studios. Thank you once again to Mario Anderson for being today's guest on the Garnet Trust Hour. If you missed any of that conversation, I'll have it up for you shortly on the 1075 The Game podcasting page. Good conversation. Learned a lot about Mario. A uh, very humble guy. Uh, into some unique things. He is a aspiring barber it sounds like so when we all need haircuts and i need one pretty bad i can give him a call right tyler you do uh yeah i do need to call mario the look? Now that I, yeah, it's a little long why did you go hatless could you would it even fit because your hair is so long right you're, now you're like the, <laughs> so you you weren't in the studio yesterday i well, also, I did, I also did not wear a hat yesterday right. um you're like the fifth person to ask me like why aren't you wearing a hat today it is weird i guess that's my crutch it's yeah. not a crutch. It's just your trademark. You it, always it, have the hat. It kind of is. I decided to comb it for once, and yeah, this is it, it's it's too long. The combing it, has added some length, though. It has. You kind of got some. I like have an emo effect going on there. Oh god, so, like Jimmy Butler. I was known. Yeah. <laughs> not. It's not that bad. For <laughs> <Yes. those. laughs> I uh, I was known in high school to have Bieber hair, so Ooh. this is pretty close to it. Yeah, I I can get you a hat, man. Uh, I'm I'm okay. Oh. I'll I'll give Mario a call and he can uh give me a temp fade. Yeah. Mm. So uh, Mar- Mario Mario was good, man. The um, I would say on the field, off the field, we learned something like like you said, aspiring barber. Actually, already pretty much is a barber. Sounds like it. Cuts hair for the team. Some of the guys he said. Now some of them already kind of have their guy, which you know I I think that tracks. But he's already got. Several guys who he cuts their hair. He's been doing it since he was at Newberry. Learned from a family member and just watching on YouTube and said, you know, I, I think wants to own his own barbershop eventually. And then on the field, I, I thought, first of all, the thing that stood out is just how grateful he is for the opportunity. Doesn't really take it for granted whatsoever. Um, I think multiple times he kind of interjected how blessed he is, how thankful he is for for being where he is. Talked about how he almost shed a tear when he got the offer from South Carolina, and he was ready to commit on the spot, but had to just kind of play it cool. (laughs) Had to put on a little bit of a poker face. Yeah, had to play it cool for a second. And then also just, you know, I I think Montero Hardesty gets some heat from the fan base at times, but it, it was very obvious that with Mario... A huge part of the reason he is at South Carolina is because of Hardesty and that he he basically credited 
him, he said, look, he broke down my entire game and then kind of built me back up as far as tendencies and kind of continued to come along as an overall player, working on the pass pro elements that also come with being a, a running back and said, you know, he's, he's kind of a, another father figure in his life. So there was a lot of, uh, I thought, really good thoughts from him on Hardesty and, and what he has kind of meant to him as a player and coach. And you talk about him not taking anything for granted and really appreciating it every moment. You guys let off at the top of the show talking about the game ball he got last weekend against Mississippi State. And, you know, he made the comment that's going to my mantle. And that's something that really meant a lot to him. And, and when you talk about him being in the transfer portal and you brought it up as well, you know, being in a D2 school, when you put your name out there, you really don't know what kind of interest you're going to get. There's no guarantee Division One, FBS, F. FCS, whatever, is going to take a look at you. And for him to be able to get to a place like South Carolina is really an anomaly uh, that we see a lot, that we don't see a lot in the transfer portal. Well, and he, I thought it was telling just how many times he thanked his offensive line. He was like, I, I wouldn't have been able to do that without my offensive line. Uh, you know, those are my guys. And so that that obviously was a, a big moment for him to get the game ball. It was a big moment to score that touchdown on that toss sweep kind of towards the end of that game. And just really, I mean, I, I thought it was, I thought it was good stuff. You know, just getting to know him a little bit on and off the field. I will share this real quick. This didn't really make it on air, but uh, I think it's fine to share it. When we were walking in, I was like, uh, I was like, man, you turned on the Jets on that seventy-five yarder, and uh, he kind of started laughing. He's like, paraphrasing here, he's like, why, why, why does everybody say that? Like that he it was, it was kind of like. Well, yeah, I'm fast. Why, why, you think I'm why so, is everybody <laughs> so surprised? He's like, basically said everybody, like multiple yeah, yeah. people have been like, dude, you're fast. And uh, he was kind of telling me like a lot of my runs at Newberry were me just dusting yeah. everybody. And he, he didn't say it in like a cocky way. It was just more like, why is everybody so shocked about this? It kind of reminded me, remember the first time, Chris, we saw Kevin Harris just like, <laughs> Take off the Vandy game, and everybody's like, "Wait a second! I thought he was a bruiser. <laughs> Where did this top end speed come from?" And I mean, Mario legit—that was a big hole. Yeah, but sure, he still he, outran everyone. He, he outran everybody. Well, so that, and, I thought that was telling. And I think there's uh, almost a preconceived notion when you talk about somebody from a different division that they're going to be a step or two slower than everybody else at the next level. And and uh, again, you can watch his highlights at. Newberry and see that he's faster than everybody else, but you don't really have a good gauge of how that compares to playing in something like the SEC. And now we're finally seeing, like, okay, he's legitimately faster than some guys in the SEC, and that's why he was so successful down there at Newberry. So again, like, I, I can un I can understand why he may not like people saying that, but I understand where people are coming from asking the question. It, it is different running past you know guys from, and no offense, right, but running past guys from Erskine and you know Carson Newman and Catawba and running past Tennessee, right? But if you can do you, the baseline is you have to be able to do it at that level. Yes. It, it's kind of like when you're looking at a guy on high school tape, if you're evaluating a running back out of high school and you're going, man, he's not breaking many tackles in high school, probably not going to break many in the SEC, right? right? If he's not running past guys in high school, probably not going to do it at the group of five or power five level. So he did it there. The question was how well will it translate? And we have some evidence that, to the extent when he gets open running room, he can do it. But, yeah, I mean, you can go back and look at his numbers, guys. Like last year at Newberry, he had a 69-yarder, a 63-yarder, a 75-yarder, a 63-yarder. So he did break off. He, I mean, he amassed a lot of carries. He amassed a lot of yards, but a lot of those were on some explosive plays and runs. So I think that was 
a good thing to see. I mean, we came into the Tennessee game talking about how Spencer Rattler had by far the most explosive runs of any uh, Gamecock offensive player. And so the running game, of course, we didn't see enough good on Saturday night as a team, uh, but we did see some some more good from Mario Anderson, including that run, and they're, they're going to need more of that you know, throughout the year. I, I thought just in terms of breaking a few extra tackles, you know, Beamer even, he got in that kind of playful shot at him, like, hey, y'all going to see on film. This was in the shot from the locker room. That was funny. Y'all going to see on film how he kind of ran into his own guy <laughs> a couple times and tripped himself. But that that kind of went back to something Beamer and I think Dow Loggins talked about last week, and we talked about it here. Even against Mississippi State, there were more yards to be had. I, I thought he, I thought he maybe took a couple more of those extra yards against Tennessee as he's gotten more and more comfortable at, at this level. And you know, he he he's earned his opportunities, and now he's taking full advantage of them. So I will be curious to see can this can this running game just keep taking those little steps forward to keep opponents from pinning their ears back and doing what Tennessee did as the game progressed and just attacking these tackles to the outside. You know, that you have to just get better, like literally from a pass protection standpoint as the year goes on if you're South Carolina, but there are ways that you can kind of negate some of that, and that's to stay out of those situations. And the way you do that is to be able to incrementally improve in the running game. And that, there were some signs of that against Tennessee. Not that they ran the ball great. There were times where it kind of looked like, man, they're, they're actually going to have some success on the ground. But then I felt like it was kind of a couple of steps forward, then a couple of steps back when you look at the inability to get those kind of tough yards on those short yardage situations. Yeah, absolutely. And you look at Florida coming in, Next weekend being the next opponent, and obviously they gave up a lot of yards on the ground to Ray Davis this past weekend of Kentucky, so there's potential an opportunity there to have another breakout game, and obviously we know if South Carolina can get the running game going, then the passing game obviously falls in line as well, and uh, you know we'll see what that matchup get, is like. Uh, we'll get there in 11 days. Can, can we talk about Ray Davis for a second? I mean, this is bye week. I know we kind of keep it on the Gamecocks for the most part, but I feel like we got a little more time to, to get through here, so... Ray Davis, like this pickup for Kentucky, I'll tell you who you want to talk about transfer portal successes. Kentucky, they're they've hit on a bunch of guys in the portal for this go round. Mm-hmm. And yep. <laughs> poor poor Vandy, man. Like they got this dude who is a legitimate stud running back, and they lose him to a division foe. And he goes in there and has a historic day against Florida. And just even, I know Gamecock fans don't like just giving Kentucky all their flowers and stuff, as people say today, which I still don't even know what that means, but I just see people say it a lot. But, man, how how about the fact that Kentucky beating Florida isn't, like, national news anymore? Like, there was a stretch a where if you, if you were Kentucky and you beat Florida, it was like, what they just finally beat Florida. For the first time in 30 years. Yeah. Now it's just like, oh, yeah, they beat them again. And they, they looked dominant in doing so. Very interesting game this coming weekend. Kentucky and Tyler's Georgia Bulldogs yeah, squaring off. Uh, hey, your boys better get right. Cause it's it, it's going to be interesting. They certainly can't have a sleepy start like they've had through the first couple of games of the season. I, I'm 
I think it's going to be a blackout in Sanford this weekend, so that might Ooh. add some extra juice. But yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be a fun one. If this game was at Kentucky, I'd be a little bit more worried. I would think, I would think Georgia would be on heavy upset alert for sure. Um, being in Athens, I, I'm just waiting on Georgia to turn it on though. Yeah, like, and and this past weekend was another example of that. It's like okay, like I didn't, I never felt like they were actually going to lose against Auburn. I was waiting for that one moment when they finally took the lead and took control, but it came with three minutes to go in the game. Well, all right, there it is, but. It made you sweat for 57 minutes. couple quick stats. Chris has been on the stats this year. This Y'all notice from, that? My man Kevin Roche sent this to me. It's from Michael Bratton on Twitter. Biggest week six mismatch based on efficiency and total EPA. Colin would have to come on and tell us what EPA is. I can't remember. Kentucky's, Expected points added. Okay, there you go. Kentucky's rush offense, number 18. Here's the surprising one. Georgia rush defense, number 77. Yeah, they gave up over 200 yards to Auburn over the weekend. That was the first time they'd given up over 150. We talked about this a while back. This is, I think, the Florida game in 19, 18 or 19. It's been a long time since they gave up that many rushing yards. Kentucky's offensive line struggled last year. They look right this year. Cole Kubelik had a lot of good things to say about them. Also, guys, Ray Davis in the South Carolina game last year. This goes underreported because South Carolina won by 11. Ray Davis had 20 carries for 167 in that game. I mean, Ray Davis is a dude. He's man. really good. And probably playing his way into a draft pick position. Obviously, the NFL does not love running backs, but is helping his case as much as he possibly can, I think. But that's man, that's a good team they've put together. I I as much as Ray Davis took the attention and rightfully so, and offensive line played well against Florida. I don't I don't think Florida is some Super dangerous offense. So put it in context. But I thought Kentucky's defense looked kind. You know, they, they kind of go through these cycles where they're never the team that's going to just out recruit everybody in the SEC. But when they have veteran guys on defense, they look extremely well coached and they pursue the football well. They, uh, I feel like they they kind of gang tackle very well. They get pressure up front. They've got some guys on the de- – they, they just find a way to find guys on the defensive front that can, uh, you know, defeat one-on-one blocks. And they, I think they were getting home just rushing four, which mm-hmm. gave them a lot of flexibility and being able to drop guys in the coverage. And, I mean, it, it's one game. And we've – I mean, we've seen. You can look great one week, not great the next. But I'll, I'll be very interested to see what Kentucky can do against Georgia because they, they – seem to have some pieces on both sides of the ball and you know they got to kind of put it all together it feels like their receivers are not quite catching everything they can catch mm-hmm. Devin Leary has not put up huge numbers at least he didn't this past week but I think Kentucky is a it, some of these games for South Carolina look easier Kentucky looks a good bit more difficult than maybe we thought it was coming in and Kentucky looking for their first win against Georgia since 2009 this weekend so has been a while. We'll dive into some things that the Gamecocks need to do to improve over the course of this bye week coming up. Listen to the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on the game. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour with Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head on your home of the Gamecocks in Columbia, 107.5 The Game. Also heard on 100.3 The Game in Myrtle Beach and 100.5 The Game in Florence.
Yeah, we got to get healthy for one. Um, we just and we we got to get our young guys to continue to come on and get better. Just told the team in the locker room we're not even halfway through the season. I mean, we're not even to October yet, and um, we're not at the halfway point of the season. But the off week's coming at a good time. We uh, got to get back to work. We got to get better. We got to get healthy because right now we're a we're a two and three football team, and uh, that starts with me as the head coach. I don't believe. We are a two and three football team. I think we're better than that, but uh, we got to understand that that uh, when you come on the road in the SEC, or even when you play at home in the SEC, um, you got to be detailed and you got to make plays when when uh, you get opportunities to. And we didn't do enough of that tonight. Welcome back in Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs here on the game. That of course was Coach Beamer talking after the game on Saturday night about things to look at and improve on during this bye week as they get set to take on Florida next Saturday. We'll dive into that matchup as it gets closer. Uh, you know, talking to Mario Anderson in the last hour, Wes, he brought up, you know, just kind of focusing on the finer details as far as the running backs go. Didn't want to dive into too many of the specifics there. But like Coach Beamer mentioned in that clip, I mean, health is, is one of the biggest concerns. You obviously want to get Juice Wells back, see what's going on with Ja'Kai Moore, just getting as many guys healthy as you can the stretch run to the end of the season and how about the people that we don't even really know about who are dealing with bumps and bruises and and probably hurting a little bit as well i I think you know you're not going to magically get guys that are seriously hurt back just based on hey you got an extra week off i i think where this really helps you is all the dudes i mean probably what would y'all think like 90 percent of your roster right now probably has that are, that's playing probably has some bump or bruise or something that is hurting them a little bit. Everybody's yeah. hurt and a bunch of guys are injured. Yeah, so <laughs> <Pretty much. laughs> it, it's the, it's those guys that are kind of just dealing with smaller things that I think you truly get to just reset a, a little bit and uh, you know and, and come back in and and maybe be closer to a hundred percent. And even then, maybe, maybe you're not a hundred percent, but I, I think it definitely helps. And then yeah, I, I think for Juice Wells, it's just about all right, get another sort of an updated opinion on where things are. Is it possible he's back? Is it possible that it's later? What are what's the best decision for him long term? All those things. We we know Juice wants to play. We know he's a competitor. The fact that he was playing early on is the perfect example of that and how bad he wants to be out there, but ultimately they're going to have decisions to make on when it makes sense for him to come back and you know, we'll see if we can get some details on that after this week because obviously this is a different offense if they have if they have Juice Wells, Xavier Leggett, and a healthy Amarian Brown all out there at the same time, then that's one of the that's probably one of the better trios in the entire SEC. But they've had obviously Leggett's been out there, but banged up A B and either banged up Juice Wells or no Juice Wells the last few weeks. So I, I think for them that's something I, I don't think you count on Juice Wells right now. Like I don't think he's magically gonna be healed and just hey, he's back and he's a hundred percent. But it but it is something to keep an eye on. And I, I think A B is a guy though who maybe you look at and say, with a full extra week off, we saw him play against Tennessee, wasn't a hundred percent, but maybe you can get him back pretty close to a hundred percent going in. Yeah, he just played twenty five snaps in that game and you know, didn't have the impact you would you would want through no fault of his own. I mean, he he's he's been banged up. Shane Beamer said going into the game, he he will not be a hundred percent. He'll play. He won't be a hundred percent. But they need the type of AB who can go out and play 
40 or 50 snaps and, you know, be their starting punt returner and make some of the plays that we saw him make at the beginning of the season. And I think one of the things we've seen, y'all, is this notion. It's, it's kind of – it carries over from from baseball with Ray Tanner, the win-anyway mentality. And I get it because there are a lot of things about this football team that you can point to and say this needs to be better, this needs to be better regardless of circumstances. And those are all fair. So let me, you know, have a prelude of what I'm going to say by, by noting that, setting that as a condition. That said, you can't just say – wow, you got, you know, multiple starting O-linemen out and you got two of your starting wide receivers that have been out or very, very limited basically the entire year, just win anyway. There shouldn't be any drop-off or difference. You can't do that. It's not the way the game works. Not having a healthy Juice Wells for the entire year, I mean, even when he's been out there, he's not been healthy. Um, and we, we saw that in the first couple games even that he was out there. That, that has a big impact on your team. Uh, not having a healthy AB who was probably in the best form that he's been in his career, that has a big impact. And then it impacts even Xavier Leggett's performance because he's he's the guy on this offense. Now, yes, should there be some some guys behind them that are a little bit more ready than they have been? Yeah, sure, that that's fair to say. But when you're missing multiple starters, it's going to hurt you. When you're missing multiple starters on an offensive line that already carried questions, that is going to affect your football team. And so it, it, it's a tough situation to manage. There are certainly a lot of different things that we can argue and kind of assess in terms of where this team is. But if you're not baking in the injury situation into the performance, I don't think it's very fair because you have to bake that in along with coaching and development and all the other things. One thing that Colin brought up when we were talking about this earlier is now that you've gone through five games this season, and look, we, we've thought that Dow Loggins has done a good job through five weeks, and you know there were some questionable things that happened on Saturday night, certainly, but kind of also this bye week gives you a chance to reassess what you've done up to this point, and now you've got five games worth of tape on Dow Loggins if you're opposing teams, and that was one of the things we knew coming into the season that he's never called plays in college before where you may not necessarily know what his tendencies are going to be. Now teams have a little bit more of a playbook on him, know what his tendencies are, know the things that he likes to do. How much do you reassess during this week off and maybe shift things to change things for these final seven games? Yeah, I think it's a great time to self-scout, and what tendencies can you find of what you're doing is there anything else you can do to help give these tackles a little bit more help now i'll say this it it's not as simple as just hey get an extra blocker in there let's chip block here let's let's help with this guy because something dal loggins has kind of reminded everyone of hey my tight end if i say hey my tight end is going to help out with the tackle and then go into a pass route well okay now he can't be your primary option as a pass catcher because he's having to handle this first then get into a route that makes no sense for him to be your top pass catcher and in, in uh, you know a concept that you're trying to run and then you know well hey let's just max protect more well if you max protect too much all that does is allow defenses to tack on an additional blitzer and then an additional blitzer if you just say hey we're gonna block with seven every time so normally what you have you have five eligible receivers they're going out. So your defense that you're playing against, they can rush four, five, or six and play cover zero behind you. Well, if you just max protect every time, that actually allows them to say, all right, we're going to 
we could rush seven guys. We could rush eight guys because you only have three eligible receivers going out for a pass. So there are no simple answers. You have to keep mixing it up. Are there certain times where maybe you're going to say, all right, can we give our left tackle a little bit of extra help from this outside rush? I think that is something you have to look at, but you also have to pick your times to do that as well. So, yeah, I think bye weeks are about condensing in terms of, like, what do we do really well? What do we throw out? But also adding on, like, what can we do that complements what we do do well? And use that to further, I think, make those things you do well successful because you kind of have some counter options to what you do well. All right, continue to look ahead at what we need to do in the bye week as well as scout some upcoming opponents for the final half of South Carolina's regular season. It's coming up. You're listening to the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on the game. Welcome back in Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Tyler, Wes, and Chris with you on this Tuesday morning talking about the Gamecocks and their bye week. And obviously one thing they'll be able to do this weekend is focus on Florida on Saturday as they take on Vanderbilt 4 o'clock on the SEC Network down in the swamp. And Florida is such an interesting team because I feel like week to week our opinion of them changes. They go from getting uh, losing at Utah on that opening night back in week number one, not looking really great, um, thinking they're going to ha- be in for a rough year. Then they beat Tennessee a couple of weeks ago, stifling their run game, which we saw was very prevalent against South Carolina the other night, and then they bounce back and they beat or they uh, fall to Kentucky this past weekend, where they get run over by Ray Davis. You don't really know exactly where to gauge this Florida team, and I don't know if playing Vanderbilt's going to be able to tell you too much about them this weekend. No, I, I don't think it does either. I, I think, I mean, I think they'll beat Vanderbilt. I, I do think South Carolina will beat Florida. I think that the the thing here is that they just play way better at home. They don't play well on the road at all. They're their record away from the swamp is really, really bad the last few years. And, you know, they, they beat a Tennessee team that we all saw this past week is pretty talented. Like, I know they're not the team from last year. I was impressed with Tennessee's physicality. I was impressed with their pass rush. Uh, their scheme, obviously, is is always going to give you trouble unless you can just really win a bunch of one-on-one battles. And so for, for Florida to do what they did in the swamp against Tennessee – very impressive. It shows that it's in there. It shows that they can do it. But, you know, they, they just got ran over by Kentucky. That game felt incredibly lopsided. I, I watched the entire thing. And it, it is it's crazy the, like, stark contrast between how they play at home versus on the road. I think if you're South Carolina, you do kind of wish you had another night game at Willie B. But it'll obviously be – a lot of people in town, circus, or excuse me, not the circus, the uh, the fair it's will be going homecoming. on. Do what? It's also homecoming. Homecoming. I mean, it, it's going to be, <laughs> it, it'll be a while. The The traffic will be backed up on Bluff I, Road. I, I was going to say, Colin advised me to just camp out the night before. I, I ran into enough <laughs> traffic getting to the Mississippi State game five hours before kickoff because that's when you do a Gamecocks game day. I can mm. only imagine what next Saturday is going to be like for a 3.30 kick. Oh, there will be people everywhere and the parking changes because some of the parking is now taken up by fair parking oh boy so <laughs> yes it, it'll be it'll be a what madhouse times. but yeah florida i don't know man like the, it just feels like the expectations at florida have changed and because they're not matching your traditional florida expectations but 
they're they're going to have to eventually solve their road game woes. You just uh, if you're the Gamecock fans out there, you hope that that doesn't happen in two weeks. That sounds familiar. Team a team that plays much better at home than on the road sounds like South Carolina. I mean, fair. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, you'd much rather be playing this game in Columbia, obviously. Like, there's been a big difference. Well, and and Wes mentioned this. You would much rather have a night game because South Carolina plays a whole lot better, a lot better at, at night, night. Yeah. compared to how they do during the day. And the last two home games they had during the day was against Georgia and Missouri last year. You know, lost both the lost both those games. Yeah, the Missouri game was a. I mean, the Georgia one was over at kickoff. The the Missouri one was a a nightmare. Like that's that's Wes's reference of of how you do not want a game to go. What what was the game? Uh, Mississippi State game, right? Yeah, of how you did not want it to go, and, and South Carolina was able to turn that around. But, yeah, I mean, this Florida team, it's one of those teams we talk about a lot where you're trying to constantly figure out, are they good? Are they not good? Like, I'm not sure yet. Um, and I think they're just – we don't really know until – we'll know what their record – ultimately, at the end of the year, your record is going to be what you are. Sure. And if you're a 4-8, a and 5-7 and seven team, you aren't a very good team. You know, you, you can say, ah, well, if this or that would have happened. But ultimately, you are what your record is. And, and that's what Shane Beamer referenced, I think, on Saturday night. Wes, that, that clip you played to, to open this segment. I mean, you, you can feel like that you're not – you're better than a 2-3 and three team, but ultimately you are what you are. And so you don't want to get to the end of the year for South Carolina, if you're Florida, for the Florida fans. You don't want to be at a point where your record doesn't reflect what type of team you think you are. And so for, for the Gamecocks, a big part of that is getting healthy and using this bye week to to correct some things. Down in Florida, you know, Billy Napier is answering questions about giving up play calling. Is he going to continue calling the plays? And he's having to answer for a, a, a huge rushing performance by Kentucky and being out physical and being basically like the identity that you've said you want Florida to be. Kentucky basically was that in, right. in a big loss. right. And, uh, you know, looking ahead to this game against Florida, as far as the projections go, this is one of the final ones outside of, like, Vandy as far as conference games go. It really is kind of looked at as a bit of a toss-up right now that could go either way. Where the Gamecocks are slightly favored, uh, I believe, in the latest FPI, because then Missouri, they're undefeated. Got to go on the road to them. That's a tough place to play. Texas A&M looks really good. They got one of the best. They got the best defense in the SEC overall. That's going to be tough. Obviously, Kentucky looking really strong with their run game. Like, you know, you talk about getting to... Six wins, getting to bowl eligibility. It's not going to be easy sledding over these final seven games, starting with Florida. Well, Florida very much to me is in the same category like Mississippi State game was for South Carolina. And I don't use must win, try to avoid that. But I, you're, you're going to circle that and say if you are going to match some of your goals this season, you, you really need to win over Florida. Now, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and bury this South Carolina team because I learned my lessons and – <laughs> However you're feeling right now, if you're a South Carolina fan at 2-3, and three, you were feeling the exact same way at the midpoint of year one. You were feeling the exact same way going into the Tennessee game of year two. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, the teams under Shane Beamer have found a way to keep getting better. Now, I'm sure they'd like to – Beamer talked about it all offseason. Can you show more consistency? Can you start a little bit faster in the season? We all would like that, I'm sure, but I'm also not going to just bury this team because they've had some some tough moments against one of the tough, toughest schedules in the entire country. 
because there is still time for them to pull their way out. They probably are going to lose to a team that maybe they have a, a chance to beat, but they're probably also, like, I think I think at A&M, it's going to be very, very hard to win. I'm not chalking up anything else as a sure loss. Honestly, just like you can't really chalk up anything else as a sure win, but but certainly Florida just feels like a game you need to win. And there, I was trying to find, somebody posted the record, but I couldn't find it. Florida's 0-2 on the road this year. Mm-hmm. They lost... Um, their last two games on the road last year, yep. they did beat A and M on the road, but then before that, they lost to Tennessee. They only won one road game last year, so th- this is a game you kind of you just need to have in the win column if you're South Carolina. One of the differences I think between last year and this year, though, is when when you're looking for that kind of silver lining or that hope is one of the most frustrating things about last year. Like after the Missouri game, after the Florida game, you looked around, you went. Gosh, there's a lot more talent on this offense to be getting shut out on offense mm-hmm. in Florida. There, you, you shouldn't be scoring seven points against Missouri. And then they were able to turn that around. This year, I, I think because of some of the personnel, you don't have that as much. But you do have a lot of good players and, and players that have made a big impact that are on the shelf due to injury, right? So that's why I think it's just that's a big question with the season outlook for me is how many guys can they get back, how impactful – can they be? I think that's going to weigh in pretty heavily. Take a little bit more of a look around the SEC and what's going on as we're almost halfway through the regular season. Coming up, Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on the game. Oh, now LSU. They'll probably be thinking about using their timeouts. Harris makes a man miss. Welcome back in Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Tyler West and Chris with you on this Tuesday morning. Being that it is a bye week, we'll take a little bit of time to look around at other things that happened in the SEC over the weekend. That was calling ESPN on Saturday night. Ole Miss picking up the 55-49 win over LSU. Over 1,300 yards of offense between the two teams. Uh, if anybody out there is betting, I hope you took the over. Because uh, this game took forever for one and uh, uh, didn't didn't feature a lot of defense. It did not. And I think it's just kind of the most recent example of how, you know, yeah, you still got to play great defense, but college football, you know, even the SEC, which traditionally has not been necessarily the most offensive-oriented conference, you, you got to score points. I, I feel like you can't just go out there and win with defense. You really got to try to be balanced and – you know, I don't know, particularly Ole Miss, I don't know if they're balanced enough to to do much, but as far as, like, you know, winning the West or whatever, but you look at these two teams and you look kind of what South Carolina is striving to be, and, I mean, they got great schemes, great quarterbacks, great weapons, and they're able to give them time to, to operate. And when you get two of those teams on the same field, especially – as everything is the rules are a little bit more oriented to help the offenses these days it's just i mean it's tough to stop and I, i'm sure you can go on the message boards and lsu fans and ole miss fans are probably hammering their defensive coaches and saying what you know what's going on this is unacceptable but when offenses like this start to get on a roll and then wear down a defense as the game goes on 
it's kind of like a snowball effect. Like, there's really not much you can do defensively, and you're just hoping you can make that one big play, that one turnover, that one big stop in order to win a game because, you know, it's just these offenses are, are very hard to stop as spread out as you are getting in these one-on-one situations. And for a team that a lot of people in the preseason had penciled in as being in the SEC championship game, being a viable threat for the college football playoff, we're now at the end of September, October 3rd now, and uh, LSU's got two losses and virtually out of the running. You know, and I I think this is a situation, we talked about how Shane Beamer kind of warned people about some certain things about his team. Brian Kelly warned people about LSU. And, uh, you know, I remember it making headlines when he said, Look, we maybe were a little bit ahead of schedule in landing in the SEC championship game last year. We still have a long way to go as a football team. We still have a, a lot we need to accomplish in order to be in a position to to really deserve to be there, I think. And for for them, I, I think we're seeing that. It's still a work in progress. Sometimes your own sort of overachievements can establish expectations that are a little bit unfair or just a little bit hard to match, I think. And, you know, I think that's what LSU is dealing with right now. Like, we, I think we knew this was going to be a battle, too. This is a tough matchup. LSU, much like South Carolina, has played an incredibly tough schedule mm-hmm. to start the year. So they, they also are kind of dealing with, I'm sure their numbers look bad, particularly defensively. Their record looks bad. Well, sub in another just easy dub – like some people have had, and maybe it's a very different conversation, but they've played a tough schedule so far, and uh, you know they're hurting because of it. But this LSU team does still have a lot of talent. I don't know what their schedule looks like coming up next. but they got, I, They're going on the road to Missouri this weekend. They'll beat Missouri, I think. I know Missouri's undefeated. They're finally going to burst the bubble. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sold on Missouri personally. I think LSU probably still the better team. Missouri atmosphere isn't even what they saw in Ole Miss, in my opinion. Uh-oh. So Eli Drinkwitz is going to use that in his press conference. Please do, Eli. <laughs> but it's, I mean, that's the second worst atmosphere in the SEC, I think. So there's a reason I, they're called the other Columbia. I will say Missouri, like that to me, I, I just have this thing. I, I'm stuck in this phase right now. I think that's one of the toughest games on South Carolina's still very tough schedule. That's just been kind of a – Missouri at home or away has been tough for South Carolina lately. Just the matchups, like, just just don't like it. But this Missouri team's 5-0. and Like, they beat Middle Tennessee it's by four. It's a very four. blah 5-0. and Right. They beat Kansas State at home. That was a good win. Kansas Monster State, always goal. good. Yeah, monster field goal. They beat Memphis by seven. They beat Vandy. You're not like, wow, what an incredible team. But still a good I, – I think still a good team. The worst five and O team in the country. No, is that what you're saying, I Chris? I hadn't looked at all the five and O teams. How many five and O teams are there? Uh, Maryland undefeated. Maryland's undefeated. Louisville's undefeated right now. Maryland's playing Ohio State this weekend. Maryland's the worst five and O team in the country. I haven't I'll, watched we'll one. Curse favor with all the Gamecock fans by saying that Ter- Terry's going to come down here and smack you. <laughs> well, at least there's one Maryland fan in South Carolina. Uh, <laughs> there were it's one more than it was at the game. I know on, there were five the of them game. at the last game, <laughs> but no, I you know what? I don't know. So, I, I mean, I feel like I'm a complete homer at this point. I picked South Carolina to beat Tennessee, regretfully. But even that Missouri game, if we're going to go ahead and look ahead, Chris, I certainly understand 
why nobody would feel comfortable picking South Carolina to win that game, especially going to Missouri. I do. I think the way South Carolina stopped the run against Mississippi State, similar approach to running the football, you know, outside zone, stretch run team. We saw Missouri just hammer South Carolina with that last year and them have no answers. I think there are some reasons maybe that they match up a little bit better now than they did last year. But Chris is shaking his head at me. <laughs> I, I, I will not be off this until after the Missouri game if South Carolina wins. Y'all just going to have to deal with it. That's fair. Sorry. I think Missouri's more – I think there's a better chance they beat Missouri than that they do Kentucky. Uh, Yeah, I could see that. What we know about both teams right now, I think that's a fair assessment. Brady Cook's playing pretty well. He wasn't after, even the after being starter at the start of the season. Luther Burden's now taken the throne of most re- uh, receiving yards by any um, yes. receiver in the country, which Xavier Leggett I, held going into the weekend. I saw something comparing the start of this season to Devontae Smith's Heisman season, and the numbers were similar through yeah. the same amount of games. He's popping uh, off. That's pretty good, then. Absolutely. Luther Burden's really good. And we'll certainly have plenty more time to break down those matchups, especially Florida, as we go through this bye week. Real quick, though, as we wrap up, want to give a shout-out to former Gamecock, Matrick Belton, known as Trick Williams, winning the NXT North American Championship on Saturday at No Mercy, made his Raw debut last night. First time appearing on the main roster show. That's awesome. My guy, he is also a GC Live veteran. Alumnus. Alumnus. Got to get him in here for a Garnet Trust Hour. What's his finishing move, Tyler? Oh, gosh. If you hadn't asked me, I would have cut it told you. We hadn't you. done testing Tyler in a while. Man, yeah. I'm not going to lie, Tyler. I'm a little disappointed. Well, that see, I, I, need, I, I need to go back and watch his match from Saturday night because I haven't gotten to watch it yet. But, uh, yeah, I mean, for a guy that just started wrestling four years ago, he is flying through developmental. That's good. He he cut us alive off this off-the-cuff promo <laughs> oh, when he, we had him on the podcast. He's, and a, he's a good it. talker. He's a and, good talker. Um, I mean, I, I won't give away too many personal details, but I, I met his mom randomly about a year ago at a, a local bank. Very, very awesome person. Very proud of her son, as you would expect. So shout out to him, man. Yeah, I'm man. happy for him. Shout out Trick Williams, NXT North American champion. That'll do it for today's edition of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Halftime show with Terry coming up next on the game. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.